to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years, and we want to share our knowledge with you, covering tax, accounting, technology, financial, and advisory topics relevant to you and your business. Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts, where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Hello, I'm your host, Dave Jewell, Principal and Tax Service Line Leader at Yo and Yo. Welcome to this episode of Everyday Business, where we will focus on tax issues affecting your business and personal tax situation. For those of you with college students in your home or children who will eventually be college students, you're not going to want to miss this topic. The tax code allows for several credits and deductions around education expenses. However, there's a great deal of strategy involved in making sure you're getting the best benefit, and that is what we want to educate you on today. Today we will discuss what the available credits and deductions are in the first place, pass along some tips for how to maximize them based on your tax situation, and then conclude by discussing some other education-related savings options and the potential tax breaks associated with them. Joining me today to discuss all, all things education is Kelly Brown. She's a tax manager in our Saginaw office. Kelly specializes in individual income tax consulting and is one of our firm's leading experts in the sales tax arena. Kelly, we'll give you a break from sales tax today, but welcome to the podcast, and I look forward to having you educate myself and our listeners on how to maximize the education tax breaks in the Internal Revenue Code. All right, let's jump right in. There are two major education credits that our listeners may or may not have previously heard about. Those are the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. There is also a tuition and fees deduction that was part of the recent extenders bill signed by the president in December of 2019. Will you take a few minutes and go through each one of these so our listeners know the difference and various parameters around each of these tax breaks? Yes, Dave, thanks. It's great to be here. The American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifelong Learning Credit are both credits, so they reduce income taxes dollar for dollar. The tuition and fees deduction is instead a deduction from income, not a direct deduction from tax. So while still valuable, it doesn't provide quite the same impact on the tax return. The American Opportunity Tax Credit is generally considered the best of the three, offering up to $2,500 annually per student for the first four years of post-secondary education. So over a four-year period, it can provide up to $10,000 in benefit. Each year, it can be maxed out with just $4,000 in qualified education expenses, which include tuition and required books and fees. During the year, the student must be enrolled at least half-time for one or more academic periods, pursuing a degree or recognized educational credential. Students also cannot have any felony or drug convictions and must not already have earned a bachelor's degree as of the start of the year. The lifetime learning credit is broader in that it's available for students of all levels of enrollment and even those who are in grad school or have already attained a degree. It provides a 20% credit on up to $10,000 in qualified education expenses, which for this credit is limited to tuition and required fees for any course that's part of a degree program. This credit is also limited to $2,000 per return, regardless of the number of eligible students in the household. Finally, the tuition and fees deduction can reduce adjusted gross income by up to $4,000. Qualified expenses include tuition and required books and fees. While all three of these provisions can be used on the same return, only one may be selected for each student, 
So you can't use the same student for two or even all three, even if the student has enough expenses to maximize each one. Making sure the correct expenses are used in calculating the credit is also important. Over the past couple years, colleges and universities have been tweaking the 1098Ts, which are the tax forms they issue to students. The goal is to better capture the information required to file for the educational credits, but they still do not all calculate the expenses and payments in exactly the same way. I usually advise parents to have students print off a financial accounting from the school showing the educational expenses charged and the payments applied, as ultimately this is how we calculate the, the tax benefits. Another thing to note is that the credits affect income tax only, not self-employment tax. So to get the full benefit, a taxpayer needs to have sufficient income tax liability, though in certain circumstances, a portion of the American Opportunity Tax Credit may be refundable, which means that even while the taxpayer has either no income tax liability or the income tax liability is wiped away by various credits, the taxpayer still gets a refund of a portion of the American Opportunity Tax Credit. It's also notable that the credits and deductions do have income threshold phase-outs where the benefit begins to be limited. For singles, the phase-outs for the various credits and deductions begin at $60,000 for the tuition and fees deduction, $68,000 for the lifetime learning credit, and $80,000 for the American Opportunity Tax Credit. For married filing jointly, these amounts double, but even if a taxpayer is slightly above, there may be some reduced benefit available. Sometimes additional retirement or health savings account contributions can lower adjusted gross income just enough to provide additional benefit. Okay, great information and certainly a lot to think about. I thought tax reform was supposed to make things easier. This sounds like there's still a lot to consider and a lot of different things that we need to, to know about and strategize around. So based on the income limitations that you just laid out, I would imagine that quite a few of our listeners are about to tune out thinking that since they're over the limit, there's nothing for them to take advantage of. Um, while the parents might be over the limit, are there any ways or strategies to shift these tax breaks to the kids? What advice do you have overall for planning around these educational breaks uh, so families don't leave any dollars on the table? Yes, Dave, there's definitely planning strategies where not only high-income taxpayers can benefit, but also families of students who receive scholarships or grants to pay these qualified expenses. There can still be tax savings. In either situation, the parents' and students' income is looked at in conjunction with the educational expenses to map out the ideal result. If you're in a situation where parent income is considerably above the phase-out limits, it may even benefit the parent to forgo claiming the student on their tax return for the purpose of allowing the student to claim educational credits on his or her return. However, for this strategy to work, the student needs taxable income. So if the parents have a business, this provides an ideal opportunity for tax savings. The business can hire the student, the student can earn income, which of course is still subject to payroll and state taxes, but the educational credits greatly reduce or even wipe out all of the associated federal tax. In a situation where instead there's little cash or loan funds used for qualified expenses due to the student having scholarships or grants, if the student includes some of these funds as taxable income, it generally costs very little in income tax for the student, but the parents can then reap the full benefit of the education credit. In my experience, I've seen many instances where the student has an increase of around $200 in tax, while the parents gain about $2,000 in credit. The key to the whole thing working out, though, is getting the parent and student returns together at the same time. 
That means making sure students don't file for a refund as soon as they get their W-2. In situations where the student has already filed, we've amended student returns to allow the parent to get the full benefit of the credit, but it's an added expense that can be avoided if, if we plan and to look at these all together at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's key. I see all the time uh, I have parents that'll bring a return in that we find out that the child has already filed and then we kind of lose the ability to to work these returns in conjunction with each other and, and maximize benefit. It, also, it oftentimes uh, results in more cost to the parents because we have to amend tax returns and um, yeah, yeah just, it just turns into a mess. So for students out there, wait and send in your tax information along with your parents. I don't know if that's a new pastime. It wasn't, it wasn't when I was in college to go out and get your return filed as soon as possible, um, but that just seems to be more and more the case. So, and I also think this is an area where uh, the help of a tax pro can really come into play. Final topic for today then, there's a handful of college savings programs that are out there for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, et cetera, to consider for college-bound students, whether those be 529 plans or Coverdells or whatever else is out there. So can you give us a quick overview of some of the benefits of these plans, whether there are any federal or state tax advantages to utilizing them, and then maybe what that money can be distributed for? And conversely, I guess, what happens if it's distributed for other than education purposes? I know there's a lot to unpack there, but just give us a general overview if you would. Sure, Dave. The ones we see the most are the 529 plans. These allow for educational savings with tax-free growth. Gifts of up to $15,000 per donor per student may be made annually, or the account may be front-loaded with up to five years or $75,000 in gifts all at once. The earnings in the account grow tax-free as long as the account distributions are used for qualified education expenses. For purposes of these accounts, the qualified education expenses are much, much broader and even encompass living expenses as well as needed technology such as a laptop or internet access, though these are subject to limitations. Further, in Michigan and some other states, apprenticeship programs are now eligible expenses. Then as part of the SECURE Act that was just passed, up to $10,000 may be used to repay student loans. However, the $10,000 is a lifetime limitation, not an annual limitation. While many states offer various tax incentives for those funding their specific 529 plans, Michigan allows a deduction of up to $5,000 for single filers and $10,000 for married filing jointly per return per year for funding a 529 plan, but it must be a Michigan 529 plan, not in other states. Michigan also has a prepaid tuition 529 plan, the Michigan Educational Trust, where you get to pre-purchase tuition based on today's rates to be paid out later when the beneficiary is in college. The plans are meant for use at Michigan public universities, but there are other options available if the student wants to attend another school instead. Finally, there are Coverdell education savings accounts, but we rarely see these for Michigan returns, likely because there isn't an associated deduction in Michigan and their provisions are much more restrictive. These are like a 529 plan, except the account is in the name of the beneficiary instead of in the name of the donor, and there's a contribution limit of $2,000 per year per student per donor, and even that amount can sometimes be phased out if the donor is a very high income earner. What all of the accounts do have in common though is that if the proceeds are used for educational expenses, there's the advantage of having tax-free growth. 
If funds are instead withdrawn and there are no corresponding education expenses, there's a penalty of 10% on any gains, along with the gains being subject to income tax. Okay, thanks, Kelly. I'm going to ask you the question that I get asked about 100 times every tax season. What is the federal tax benefit for funding a 529 plan? There is no federal tax benefit. No federal tax benefit. Okay, that'll come as a shocker for a lot of people because I think that there's just a common misconception that every time you fund an educational plan, a 529 plan in particular, which seems like a lot of people have, that's one of the, the most popular that's in place, that there's a great federal tax benefit that's associated with it, and that is not the case for 529 plans. All right, Kelly, what about the if in life? What happens? We have all these great plans we've done, everything that we can as a, as a parent to fund our 529 plans or to fund 529 plans or other educational accounts for children and they decide not to go to college or they go into the military or they go into a trade or it just doesn't work out where they go to college. What happens then? Yes, Dave, of course, life is full of surprises and circumstances definitely change. Sometimes students decide to join the military or are rewarded with generous scholarships. These situations qualify for a taxable withdrawal where the funds may be removed from the 529 plan, and while they're still taxed, they're not subject to penalty. If you have a child who goes into an apprenticeship program that is part of the new tax legislation changes, and those expenses now can be used with 529 plans. Another option on all of the types of accounts is to transfer to another family member of the student or of the donor, depending on the type of account the, the funds are in. However, with planning, there are often ways to coordinate the 529 plan withdrawals with both education credits and scholarships to allow you to maximize available tax incentives and provide a more affordable education for your student. But the key is in the planning. Okay, so just to make sure that I have this straight then, if I do make a withdrawal from a 529 account and it doesn't meet one of the exceptions, I'm not taxed on the money that, on the after-tax money that I put into the plan, correct? I'm just taxed on any earnings that would be subject to ordinary income tax, and then I'd also pay a 10% penalty on those earnings, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay, great. Well, Kelly, this has been extremely insightful. I wanna thank you for your expertise and for your time today uh, in joining me on Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Uh, in order to pass along information on education credits that I think will be a great benefit to a lot of our listeners. If you're interested in learning more about educational credits and deductions or any other benefits associated with 529 plans or other college accounts, visit yoandyo.com where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. I'm Dave Jewell and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Business with Yo and Yo. Thank you for tuning in to Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo and Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo and Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers.
This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.